So if you interviewed for a product role at one of the top tech companies, you probably had to deal with, with this kind of like product sense questions. Now, for those of you who haven't actually done this in the past, this show will, you know, take a deep dive into the subject. We'll talk about why it's important, how to go about solving these kind of problems with examples that we're going to give you. And actually how its application is beyond just interview question. And I can actually apply it into your day-to-day -day job as a product manager. Now, my guest today is Nader Balada. Nader is a product manager with over 10 years of experience and also an active angel investor in two of Toronto startups. He was previously the co-founder of Fleet Ops, which was a digital freight marketplace in the trucking space, and now runs the product management practice at a healthcare startup. So get ready, guys, for today's chat with Nader Blada on how to go about product sense. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Sleeman, and welcome to PMOHA Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. Nader, welcome to PMOHA. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here, Cyrus. Uh, you know, I, you've had some really renowned guests on this program, including Ravi Mehta, who is, I'd like to think of a, of a mentor, um, and he's uh, had a legendary career at Facebook, helping out Tinder. So it's it's great to be here on, on the podcast and share with the names of, of guys like that and other people I've listened to. For sure. No, thanks. Thanks for that. Definitely. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited to have you today. Uh, the topic is, you know, uh, it's known to be, you know, product sense, a typical interview question. But today we're going to talk just like how it actually applies to day to day uh, role as a PM. But I was wondering, you know, we all have different journeys into product. What is your yeah. journey into product matter? So, you know, I've, I've had a, uh, an uncommon but a very common one in a, in a way journey into product management. I was in sales and I had worked for a small startup here in Toronto. And we as we grew and as you know, we were growing and I was um, and then the recession happened, which really, really affected us as we were growing our U.S. business. And at the time we were in a reseller consulting in a service. We were a, a reseller in a services company. And we, you know, we felt the, the impact of the recession very directly and pretty immediately once it started. And so um, part of our survival was to find new ways to obviously generate revenue and uh, and make a bigger impact with our customers. And so one was to, you know, obviously we were reseller to services, like I mentioned, but we the other thing was to can we actually build our own software and actually sell that software instead of being reliant on on our uh, our, our our channel or our reseller partners and um, lo and behold i started diving deep into some of the customer needs um, we started building these excel based solutions and then i didn't know what i was doing i mentioned to somebody at a conference once and then they said oh well that's what a product manager is you're just a product manager and i looked it up and i was like yeah this is actually interesting. And uh, and so I that's how I stumbled into product management very accidentally and uh, very, you know, it's been serendipitous uh, in a way for me. So um, I certainly love it. I'm not making as much money as my friends in sales, but still, uh, still, I, uh, I love the work that I do. No, I love that. That's that's very interesting. Uh, so. Let's just jump right into topic matter. Like, what is product sense? You know, what, you know, what what does it mean to have product sense in your thoughts? Yeah, product sense is it's this really important skill that I think 
every product, I mean, I know that every product manager needs to have. So product sense to me is, it is kind of, it is, um, is your sense of how a product gets made. It's your product judgment. And it can be defined as the ability to, you can see a product and you can analyze how the product was made um, from the decisions that were made, the audiences that were considered, the pain points that were, that were, that were discussed, and also what are the trade-offs that were made. Um, but then you can also look at any product, whether it's your own product or not, and you can figure out how to make it useful or not. Um, and so I, I do think of it as having kind of uh, like a spidey sense. Um, so I'll give you maybe, you know, to articulate this, um, what product sense is a little more is, you know, I don't know if you, if you recall personally, but there was a time where when someone messaged you on LinkedIn, you could actually see the full message in your email and you could reply back in your email. Well, you know, in, tw in 2018, they disabled this. And so as a product manager, you might wonder like, well, why do they do this? Because it's more inconvenient now. Um, so there's reasons as to why they did that, of course. Um, you can also see like when you can, you might even think about it as, you know, you're on Facebook and Facebook sends you a notification. They just recommended this person that you met in passing, even when you don't have any mutual friends or groups. And you wonder like, how did this happen? You know, how did Facebook know that this person who I met in passing may have used location information, something like that. Um, or, you know, and even on, I'm, I'm, sure this, I'm sure this conversation has come up before and my wife and her friends often bring this up is they might be talking about something, talking about a particular product, even a vacation resort here in Ontario in, in Canada. And then all of a sudden the next day you get ads for it on Facebook or on Instagram. How did this happen? Um, so product sense is that sense that allow that enables you to understand how someone designed a product and why they designed this designed it this way. Um, so you know that, that yeah that's that that's how I define it. Very cool. Now thanks for those examples that you gave us. Really kind of like uh, cleared the path on like what we're talking about. We were saying product sense. Now you mentioned like uh, you talked about like the reason as well. But if you wanna. Uh, you know, elaborate a bit more. What would you say? You know, having this product sense is important. Yeah, yeah. So you know, product sense is um, is definitely. I, uh, the examples that I gave were probably more outward, just thinking about the products in the world around you. But you know, thinking more importantly as the products that you make as a product manager, um, it really enables you to build great solutions by using the power of empathy and vision. Um, and so it's, it's just really, it's just really vital skill to have. Um, so, you know, th I'll, 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 I'll give you an example. Imagine that you are a product manager at your current company and you have a particular, uh, feature idea that comes from sales, from your executive, someone's an executive team, maybe the CEO, it comes from marketing where it could even come from somebody in your engineering or your product division, your product group. And you want to think through. Um, you want to think through like that actual feature idea, because typically when you when you work in a company, most companies don't give you problems to solve. Problems do come up and you have to solve them. But a lot of times when you get ideas, it's feature ideas, cool solutions, really, to a, um, you know, for a particular customer set. And so Product Sense gives you the ability to have that empathy. And that is to get to know users, understand context, uncover needs <clears throat> and listening for feedback. Um, and then to the way it manifests itself into a great product is product sense allows you to think about the customer, um, you know, from a uh, you, you, you start thinking about you get deeper into the customer problem 
um, you get deeper into the customer needs. You think of like, say, what's the impact? What's the alternatives that they might have? Um, and then you start thinking about, okay, well, this particular customer set that we want to focus on, what's their pain points? And you might list a bunch of pain points, you choose one or two of them, and you MVP out. Um, so to me, product sense is this really important skill that helps you build um, great products. Um, yeah, so that that's how I see it. Very cool. Uh, now you touched uh, touched upon a little bit on like uh, your approach, but if you kind of like wanted to lay it out uh, a bit more uh, thorough, like about the overall approach to you know products and situations, how would you describe it? Yeah, um, I think to answer this question, there's probably a couple of ways to do it. Uh, one way is to think about you know um, say that you have you know thinking internally, thinking about your current role. Um, how do you, if someone, if you have a problem to solve, whether it's a business problem or a user problem, how do you go about that? Um, there's a bunch of methodologies around that. One methodology is called the circles method. And that's where you start with, you comprehend, so you clarify the context, you understand the problem, you understand your users really well, how it impacts them again, what alternatives they have, how painful is this? Because sometimes a solution that you might, a, a problem that your customer has, it's just an easy workaround in terms of having to press an extra button. Inconvenient, not great, but probably not even worth building a whole solution around and investing engineering efforts. Um, then the next step is actually identifying the customer segment. And so, you know, when you think of, you know, Product Sense allows you to, when you have good Product Sense and you're trying to think of a particular solution, you don't really, you, you, you shouldn't be thinking about solving the problem for every single one of your users. You should think about you should think about a smaller segment who really is struggling with that pain point and MVPing out. So you want what I mean, and when I mean an MVP, I mean it's something that is, it's a um, it's a pain point where you can d deliver a valuable solution for, but you can also test and learn so you can improve the product. So that you know having that understanding allows you to pick the right persona, the right target audience. You then evaluate their user needs. So you think of like, you might list like, okay, well, they have these seven pain points. Well, we can't solve seven pain points if we're trying to MVP out because we would spend forever building this end-to-end -end solution. You prioritize maybe one or two of those pain points. Then you think of a, you know, maybe two or solutions that, that, that solve that. Um, and then you might want to, you know, be, of course, aware of the risks, the trade-offs that you might have to make. And then you think of the metrics, like what does success actually look like? Um, so that's internal. But imagine, you know, imagine someone said to you, hey, you, and this is, this is really, you know, you know, product sense, you're right. I think you've mentioned it earlier. That is, is generally thought to be a product, a product interview question. It's only a mechanism or a, a tool that you get tested on when you are interviewing for a product manager role, at a, especially at a big tech company, but that's simply not the case. You should be applying that um, on an everyday basis. So imagine, imagine someone came to you and said to you, hey, you work at Facebook and design a social travel product for Facebook. That's a really, really tough problem to, to, to solve. But with product sense, you can actually arrive at that solution. Um, so, I mean, I can go through, would you like me to go through an example of that, Cyrus? That'd be great. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So imagine that you work at Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg sees you in the hallway and says, Hey, 
Um, I'm, I really want to build a social travel product for Facebook. Think of some ideas and make me a presentation at the end of the week. Well, for most people, that's a really, really big, hairy problem, of course. Like, what is a social travel product and who do you think about? And so if you, you know, applying the circles method in the product sense, sense of product sense, um, you start by thinking of things like the first thing you want to think is understand really what a social travel mean. You know, are we talking about pre-COVID, post-COVID? You start thinking about like, um, how does this actually meet, say, Facebook's mission? And so you start by thinking about the particular mission that you are serving. And if you're working for a good company, likely you are, um, you're trying to validate the problem and by it's by, you know, it's serving the mission that you work for. Um, you know, the best companies in the world are very mission focused and everything they do serves the mission. And that mission is, is not a, it's not a revenue mission typically, it, or mo for the better, better companies, it is a overall, user problem mission um look so shopify has that of course google facebook have that then you try to think about like what's the user impact what's the business opportunity um so taking about you know taking a look at say the social travel one just to play it out and and this is a a little short form than um uh because of time so i'll go through it quickly but yeah you might start thinking about okay Hmm, social travel. If I think of a solution, it better be, it better serve Facebook's mission, number one, which is to connect um, and bring the world closer together. It better, you know, be something that Facebook is, you know, advantaged in, in, in terms of uh, a solution. So for example, Facebook might not be great at building great travel products just yet because Expedia booking.com and a bunch of other companies airbnb are way ahead of them and more focused on that but what social what, what facebook has is a social graph and so you start you, you you start with that as a baseline and then the next thing you're like okay well first before i think about building a particular solution i am thinking about the segment that i want and so you might go through a bunch of segments in your mind you might have you can segment by travel travel types so people who travel for business golf, they're diving, religious, family, group trips, weddings. You might think psychographically as well as one of the dimensions like frequent, infrequent, you know, frequent travelers, infrequent ta uh, travelers. You might also think psychographic or yeah, more like even advanced, a little more on the psychographics. You might even think about families. And so you say, well, who's really struggling with that? And, you know, as a person who has a family, I'm biased, but you know, people who have who have um, young kids, uh, there are ones who are struggling. So then you might say, well, you know what? There seems to be a significant pain point for families, and I'm going to target parents with young children. And the reason is, you know, they, um, you know, from the time of actually discovering a travel to actually booking a travel is actually really hard to do. But then the opportunity is great from an impact perspective because the problem is so huge. There are many parents who are on Facebook. From an engagement perspective, because the pain is there, you'll get a lot of parents, presumably, uh, really being early adopters of the solution. So you get to test and learn. Um, so that's a quick way. Uh, obviously, when you're really working through this, you're probably spending a lot more time, but that's how you maybe identify a persona. So my persona in this case is I'm going to start thinking about solving the problem for parents with young children. Then the next is to think about their particular needs. And I think for... Um, 
I think for for parents with young children, as it relates to travel and Facebook particularly, there's probably two very large problems. There's actually the trip discovery um, versus like, you know, during the trip and post-trip, but trip discovery, the first part of the, you know, the pre-trip planning is very hard to do. Then you have the sharing the travel experience. So, you know, there's the personal stuff, your, your kids' photos, images, you know, um, or photos that you might want to share of yourself as well. Um, and then there's obviously a bunch of issues around that because people are uncomfortable sharing images of their bodies, them drinking on vacation, who knows where it, where it gets out. Um, so you think about these pain points and just as a quick example, I'll give you, I mentioned that there's two very large problems. There's a pre-trip discovery. So that's like where to go, what to do, where to eat, where to stay, pricing. Um, and then there's the sharing the travel experience. This is where Facebook, this is where you close the loop or you make that loop virtuous, where you share photos, people get engaged and people then go on vacation. Um, so you might say, well, you know what? I'm actually gonna cut through this prioritization. And what I'm gonna do is I'm not gonna focus on, um, again, I mentioned two big problems, the pre-trip discovery. Um, I'm gonna focus specifically on where to go because where to go is a very big pain point enough for parents. You know, when it comes down to planning a vacation, part of the, you know, one of the, maybe the biggest problem you have to solve pre-trip is in the discovery phase is like, well, where should we go? There's too many options. And so you might wanna like hone in on that one. Um, so like, again, I'm moving through quickly. So say, uh, again, the let's just make sure that we're on the, we're, we're, we're calibrating here. It's a social travel product for Facebook. That's what Mark had asked. Um, that's what Zuck had asked for me in the hallway. So now I'm focusing on parents. I'm focusing on the specific problem of where to go. And then so I might think of a couple of solutions in mind. Um, and so one solution could be, you know, you have a, a Facebook uh, service called Facebook Go There. It's a new travel section for parents on Facebook where we just actually partner with cities and we provide you these great packages and then you can go ahead and book them with, you know, with the particular cities. Um, I won't go into detail of that as a solution, but another solution which really takes advantage of Facebook social graph is, you know, for a, uh, this is what I would probably present to, to, to Mark Zuckerberg. It'd be say a new product called Facebook Discover. Um, and uh, it's inspired by people having maps um, on their walls, like most families have maps on their walls where it shows where they went, where they've gone. And so it's a new feature where you can see all the places your friends went on a map. So it would be a map overlaid with photos that you can tap and you can see thousands of amazing geotagged photos that show amazing experiences that your friends have been on, like pyramids, San Diego Zoo, maybe whale watching, going to Mexico. And you can tap and you can zoom into their photos that where they're tagged. Um, and you can learn about each each of these. You can learn more about each of these places through Wikipedia or TripAdvisor right in Facebook. Um, and the site would be the number one place to go to for like post travel worthy photos and experiences. And you get reactions to your posts. So you can post things there if you are if you already went to these places. Um, and then Facebook can create these automatic albums. And so. Um, yeah, like just why I think this would be a, a good solution. And again, we're working through it quickly because of this product sense, if, fun product sense exercise, um, is recall of the problem that, that the, customer, the user persona that I chose was parents with young kids discovering their next travel destination by using Facebook's social graph. 
you know, so as a parent, I can discover amazing places that are socially proofed and reviewed by my friends, which is the best reviews. The best reviews I can get are not from TripAdvisor. The best reviews are, you know, if my friends went to a particular resort and they, and they recommend it, that's worth more to me than a four-star review or a five-star review on TripAdvisor. Um, it serves Facebook's mission of bringing the people together. It delivers strong social value in that I can help my friends have a great experience. Uh, Facebook has a competitive advantage because no one else is doing this. No one else has the ability and there's some delight and magic to it. So um, again, just thinking through like what this solution is. I mean, imagine you're a parent, you're looking at what to do. There's a feature called Facebook Discover. You tap on it and then all you see is all your friends. You see photos of all your friends, a, a board, a map with pins where, where all your friends went. And it then shows the photos that they have chosen to share with you. You take a look at it and that gives you a sense and lets you discover new places. Um, yeah. And then and then that's a product sense exercise. And then the last part is just thinking about like what is your North Star metric so you know what you're going to be, what you, you know, how do you set the team up for success? How do you know your product is, is successful? Um, and so the you know, you probably want to think about engagement with Facebook Discover as a particular um high level goal. And then you probably want to drill down into comments and reactions around your friend's post. This would probably be the best indicator that someone has found the photos posted valuable, um, that they're so moved to react. Um, yeah, so that's a, re that's, that's an example. So yeah, so that's, that's, so that my, my solution, that's the solution I would present to Mark. And then he would ask, well, what are the, what's your goal for the product? And I'd say it is engagement with Facebook discover and typically, and it, my North star metric would be, um, you know, percentage of comments and reactions per post, as an example, um, and that would drive that would be my 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 North Star metric. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So basically, and I love how you gave that example on Facebook. And uh, so basically, I see that the, first of all, you need to make sure there's alignment with the mission of the company, and then you really need to know your personas and you need to empathize with them. So to you kind of like you could put yourself in their shoes, like you yourself, like the uh, uh, this this uh, product that we talked about, the social traveling that you mentioned, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because you are a parent yourself, and you know, so definitely, I think there's also like a like some sort of relation that you can actually kind of relate to that situation. But basically, in a uh, in in any situation, you need to really know your pers personas really well, empathize with them. And also, we need to know what's what's going on in the marketplace, what our competitors are doing, so how you can kind of like differentiate yourself, and kind of what are the you know edges that you have like over your competitors, like you mentioned for the Facebook and the social engagement platform, right? I heard a lot of creativity on your solution side, so that was great. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you know the creativity is also a big portion of what we're talking about when it comes to product sense, right? Yeah, well, when it comes to product sense, there are some you know it, it, when you're obviously part of being Part of having good private, uh, product sense is to have, there's empathy, there's also the domain experience, and there's also, very importantly, creativity. Whatever solution you come up with has to be delightful, has to have to have some magic. Of course, it has to solve the pain point. That's the most important thing. It has to serve that utility, that function. But it should also have some delight or some magic to it. Because if, you know, like imagine... Um, imagine you came back to, to, you did a presentation on Facebook, you did a presentation to Mark Zuckerberg and you presented Airbnb, 
you know, you would be kicked out of the room and and probably lose your job very quickly because it's not creative enough. All you did was just copy some other competitor's solution. Um, And so you do have to think of, you know, creativity is really important, especially in driving early users, like getting early adopters. Um, If you build a, you know, product that's just incremental, you're likely not going to move the needle. And so you do have to be creative enough to draw to get early adopters to use it and get value out of the product. Hundred percent. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And I'm also curious. Let's say if if in that you know hypothetical Facebook example, you know you only have a couple of days to put this together, this big hairy problem that you know Mark yeah. Zuckerberg gave you. Then what happens after? Like I'm I'm curious. You know what happens after the presentation? Like that you 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 showed your findings and everything else. Like how, what's the like what what's the way if you want to kind of like connect it like let's say you get the green lights or something after okay you know what it's a good idea is it the idea kind of like to show us something is worth yeah. pursuing or yeah so I, I think that you know if you presented it assuming that you didn't again we're talking about like you had to do a presentation just a couple of days you didn't have time to actually round up a bunch of users and talk to them necessarily but assuming like this you know passes some early test and then you can get into experimentation. I think the next thing you want to do is dive deeper in, you know, like if say Mark says, okay, you know what? I think your plan is good. Uh, go build a uh, go build a beta in 30 days or 60 days or whatever it is, or here's your team. So the next thing I think is to do really validate that problem. And so you do that by starting with empathy. And that is under, again, going back to, um, talking to actual users and understanding how this affects us. So uh, what I would do is probably pick, um, you know, Facebook is so big, they can probably just easily, you know, build a NPS or uh, feedback survey from like, you know, thousands of people. But assuming you don't have that ability, I'd pick five to six parents with young children who I, you know, could validate the problem with to get some sense or direction um, as to how, how big this pain point is. Um, and then, you know, then one of the things that asked them is like, Okay, so it is a big pain point. What do you do about it? Well, you know, and if they say, and if you follow the line, it'd be something like, well, I go on Expedia, I go on Booking, I go on Airbnb, I do a Google search, and so it's like eight or nine sites that they might have to visit just to figure out where they want to go. And so you're like, you're really validating, not you know, obviously it's a you know you should take their word for it, but you should also do your job and validate this is actually a real problem. Um, so you're like, wow somebody has to do like seven to eight website search just to find out where they want to go. This is not a good, this is, this is a big enough problem. Um, then what you want to do is when you think about, um, and this is really important is, you know, again, uh, I think a lot of product managers always think of an end to end solution. Like what is a perfect product? And they, and they want to build an, a perfect end to end solution. When you look at big tech companies, one of the things that they're really good about is, they they just deal with that small with the most significant pain point and the the smallest target audience that they might be able to niche you know have a niche with or haven't that haven't that problem in, in in their niche um and then they kind of like build a product from there so i would say is like the next thing is think of an mvp versus end to end you know you want to be thinking about what is a perfect end to end solution but you really want to start with you know, addressing just the most painful point with the smallest customer base that is very likely to adopt it. Um, You know, and then the next thing is actually, um, yeah. And then from there, obviously you, you, now you have enough information, you can start designing a particular solution um, and then you design it 
and you know you're in prototype mode likely now and then you want to be able to test two things with your target customers you want to test strategy and usability so that is to say you present a prototype and you chat you the strategy is does this actually solve the problem that we set out to do and is it actually a significant problem now that the customers have an idea of what a solution could look like the second thing is obviously usability that's just making sure that the product is usable indeed, because it has to solve the problem, but it has to be also usable. So they don't have to do 30 different, like say clicks or page flows just to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then, you know, then you're, you know, once you validate a prototype, you're obviously getting into building your beta um, and then you obviously expand from there. Yeah, so it sounds like pretty much like once you see the first round, the second is pretty much you go through the similar steps that you went for this, you know, initial assessment, but kind of like you do it like thoroughly to make sure that's actually everything validated, all, all these steps, you validate them pretty much, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I see. I see. Yeah, Very I mean, cool. it's also a great, <clears throat> it's also a great de-risking strategy. You know, when you're building product, you're also spending a lot of money, even though there's no actual physical cost. You're not actually buying, um, you know, the, the tangible costs might not be very tangible, but your costs are real. They're product time, they're employee time, engineering time, opportunity costs, and you want to de-risk that. And you de-risk that by validating your idea with your users uh, early and often. Like what you hear so far, make sure to never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like yourself, and I'm thankful for your support. Now, let's head back to the show. I love that. Now, if you really were to, I mean, uh, drive this home matter and kind of like give us an example from your own uh, past experience, what would that be? Yeah, I'm um, trying to think of a good example because... I've, I've only gotten bet I've only become what I think is a good product manager. I've been a product manager for now 10 years. It probably took me like five or six years to really think that I am a good product manager. The one example I can probably think of is at my last company, we built a product called Fleet Mode. And so we were, you know, a little bit of context and I won't go into too much detail because it's, this is not as sexy as necessarily Facebook, um, but we built this product called Fleet Mode, which was a, we were in the trucking space and logistics space, and we were dealing with owner operators. And we, and when we were trying to think of, you know, the problem was like, how can we expand our market share? How can we go after a different market? Well, you know, owner operators are individual truck drivers, but then what the next step is obviously when you have a group of, of truck drivers that work together for a particular company. And um, when we set out to talk to um, fleets effectively, and when you know we when we we set out to talk to fleets, trying to understand their problems, well, they had a lot of problems. They had problems from say, um, not only trying to. So our previous product, again, a little more context. We were a load or freight matching platform, which meant that we can match a driver and a shipper together, like based on their location, their truck rates, and based on the shipper's location, obviously, and also what they wanted to pay, we would basically match them, almost like a dating site for truck drivers in a way, cool. um, the romance part. But anyways, when we talked to fleets, I mean, their problems were, were really long. It started from, because 
obviously when you have more drivers, one of the things that you need to do is also uh, like scheduling is a big problem. Um, and, you know, so they have things like, you know, so it's scheduling, it is assigning to the right driver, knowing where the driver is. Um, there's even like multi-booking. And so when we, when we really went through this particular problem of what we wanted to solve for fleets, we, we, we dove into like, what is the core problem? And so we work with our target audience, which was really, um, um, I forget the term now, but it's effectively like the, at any fleet, there's always a coordinator, if you will. This is a coordinator who is somebody who works at the, at the, at the trucking company and they're on the phone all day trying to find loads for their drivers. So they're, they spend 50% of their day trying to find truck loads. And we were like, okay, well, that's really where we need to spend time on. You know, we do that really well. That is our advantage. And that's where, you know, despite the scheduling, despite that, you know, and so our competitors, you know, their fleet mode or their fleet products or competing products um, did a lot of that, did a lot of like the scheduling, did a lot of the driver assigning, uh, finding where the drivers are, things like that. And we just said that, you know, as an MVP, what we're going to do is solve this really, really big problem. I mean, it still exists in the market. No one has solved it. You know, it's likely not going to be solved for a long time. Um, and so it allowed us to actually sign up a lot of fleets very early on. Um, now, we didn't sign the largest fleets. We didn't get the best contracts. We didn't have a product that really, com you know, competed yet with our competitors in the same space. But we were able to at least get early adopters. We got people, we, we tested, we learned. And then slowly but surely, we started solving the other vertical problems. Again, things like scheduling. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I love that. It reminds me quite a bit of, of the, uh, the, the first few versions of iPhone when they came out. And they exactly. didn't have all the features of the, you know, the blackberries of a day, like all those, you know, um, the the MMS and all kind of features. But then they still like we're looking at like very, very, they're looking at it from a totally different angle, capturing the pain points that they thought is important at the time. Yeah. And, you know, Apple is an excellent example of that because Apple is a mass market product. And when they do build products, they're obviously not serving like a thousand people. They have to get mass uh, adopt. Like when they sell products, they they probably think of selling at least a few million units, even the newest product. And if you can think of Apple Watch when it first came out, Apple Watch was very limited. It, they very They very much focused on people on the go and the fitness and people who are into fitness. That was it. That's who they focused on. Then they expanded, obviously, into additional features, um, you know, uh, you know, additional services, additional. Um, they expanded their app store. But, yeah, I mean, Apple has always been good about that. I mean, they didn't even release uh, copy and paste. I think it was like a year and a half or two years in when every other buddy, everyone, everyone else had that. Um, mm -hmm. And I always remember when they made that presentation and everyone was like, really, wow, that, you know, Apple was getting control, you know, or it's not control. They were getting copy and paste, which was a big problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, every all, you know, you think about all the big products that whether it's Newsfeed, whether it's Twitter, you don't even know the betas that they're running at a particular at a given point, you know, and how many people they might, you know, the very, very few people that are perfecting the product. with. Yeah. I love that. Uh, now, you know, what do you think, you know, is it that makes this product sense problems kind of the way you approach it? What do you think that that's actually making it difficult? 
I think the thing that makes product sense really difficult is really, um, I think that the it is the overcoming the solution, you know, being in love with the solution space. So, you know, Cyrus, you're a product manager, and I'm sure you've worked with non-product people. Very often, I think you'll find, and I've worked people like this, where you talk about, a, you know, say you have an hour meeting, you talk about the problem for five minutes, and you'll spend 55 minutes actually, you know, going through the solution. You get to the solution so quickly. So that is the you know, it's really goes to back to that ethic of falling in love with the problem, not the solution, because when you do that, you can actually build the right solution. Um, I think it's human nature to love answers, um, to love getting to solutions, but that really prevents us from actually really solving the problem. Um, and, you know, oftentimes when we're faced with a problem, we tend to stop actually thinking of new ideas, ideation, as soon as we, we think that, that we have the answer. Um, and that even that be, compounds and gets worse because you end up building a product that no one may use um, because you didn't really spend enough time on the problem. And then, you know, you blame the customer and then you got to go back to the drawing board. Um, so I think that's the main problem. And I think that the way you solve that is you got to always go back to empathy. And empathy is this skill that's really, really hard to, it's, it, it's, it's a very, very, it's one of the, maybe the most valuable skills to have as a human being, whether it's in your relationships or even, you know, building software. Um, it's really understanding your users, understanding your users really well, their context. I'll give you an, a specific example. When we built my, my previous company, when, when we were building our product, we didn't just ask about how people were going to use our product when they were going to use a product, but we actually dove deep into like what their day is like. So we were in the trucking space again. And one of the things that we did is we actually went for many truck rides. Like we actually said, hey, can we go with you in the truck and see what it's like with you? And so we got there at 6 a.m. We got in, we got in the in the in the trucks. And what we were able to see is like how the product actually um, how the product you know, how the product gets is utilized or used throughout their day and how they're and how it, you know, and, and you think about like their overall like journey in that regard. So getting to know users, uh, understanding their context, like where they are, um, and then really uncovering needs and, you know, listing a bunch of pain points, listening for feedback. Um, so I think like empathy, you start, you know, you solve that by really honing in your empathy skills and empathy, just like a muscle, it can be improved. You just need to always be working on it. Um, and then in, also you, you should always be validating ideas with customers, you know, despite your, you know, thinking about Apple, I think a lot of people think that Apple doesn't do a lot of user feedback, but they do tons of user feedback. And the reason I know this is because I'm part of their beta program and I get, I get a survey about a new feature idea probably once every two months. So you might think that Apple just like designs the best thing and says to the world, here, you have you have to fit in our world. That's simply not the case. They do get user feedback all the time. You just don't really hear about it. Um, yeah, so I think that those, as, those are two ways. And then just always thinking about, always think how much time you spent on the problem versus actually designing the solution. You know, obviously building the solution from the time of design to development to launch to support is generally bigger than the problem time but if you think about when you have designed a solution and you think about it in, a, in terms of a meeting how much time was spent actually discussing the problem versus the solution um and if it's like 
if it's 50-50, it's probably too low. It should be something, I don't know, roughly like 75% of a meeting should be talked about the problem, 25% should be solution, even 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 less for solution. Hmm. That's very interesting. I, I know uh, uh, Teresa Torres talks a lot about, oh. you know, teams like just jumping into solution space and she has this opportunity solution tree structure that kind of like is like she talks about how you should kind of like not only focus on be in the spend more time like you say in the problem space more but also you should be kind of uh testing out with different opportunities or problems uh and kind of like have options in the case right so it's not yeah. like you want to focus on one problem right yeah, for sure. You should definitely, when you're thinking about a particular problem, she's totally right. You should be thinking of, you shouldn't just have one solution in mind, unless you really couldn't come up with anything. You just want to like quickly test. But generally, you should be thinking of a couple of ways of solving that problem and giving the customers the option. And that's where creativity comes into play. Um, remember, like in the Facebook exercise, I think I had two solutions. One was to, you know, to just provide like, a recommendation of like, you know, travel packages that Facebook would partner with like cities or vacation areas or resorts even. Um, and then, but I chose a different one. Yeah. So having a couple of solutions is always good. And is, and, and that, that, that happens the deeper you get into the pain points, into your persona, um, into the needs, the solution just falls out. It becomes so obvious. Yeah, that's for sure. But also what I was trying to say was that she talks about how she just not only solutions, you should have multiple, also you should be working on multiple opportunities at the same time. So if, you know, you figure you might think that, you know, one opportunity is a big opportunity, but as you kind of like do more testing, you, you realize, oh, maybe, you know, there, we have better options out there, better problems to focus on. Then, you know, she talks even like not only she do that, but also on the opportunity side as well, you should be doing it first which I found yeah. very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, very true. Very cool. So uh, so uh, what are some, I don't know, like tools or resources that do, would you recommend to our listeners to check out, you know, if they want to kind of like get better? You gave us really good examples, really appreciate your insights, but what are some resources that you might think of uh, Nader to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, you can definitely search for product design slash product sense on Google. You'll find a lot of great resources. Um, you, I think that you can also follow some really good people who do discuss this. So, you know, Shriyas Doshi on Twitter, um, and maybe we can share his handle later. He has sure. a lot of great information on, on product sense. Um, and then there's also, if you, if you, um, if you went to this link, um, like if you just search for like improve your product sense, you'll likely end up at a, at a place on a website called tryexponent.com and you'll have um, some ways to improve product sense. Um, but, you know, just generally a Google search can can give you a lot of really, really good resources on what product sense is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a really valuable skill. 100%. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now, Nader, thanks so much to be, uh, for being on the show and talking about Product Sense uh, beyond the interview question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of PM Hub Podcast, guys. Now, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, feel free to share on your social media and leave a five-star review so we can reach more audience. Now, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email them to me. My email is cyrus at productmanagerhub.org. 
Now you can get all the tips and action items for this episode, plus a really cool uh, toolkit, a uh, job kind of like uh, interviewing toolkit that Naras put together on this uh, bit.ly link that we're going to give you for free. It's bit.ly forward slash pmhub16. Also subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I'm Sire Slayman, and until next session, stay safe and healthy.